0: Hey guys, this is Shay Schrader with Woods, Wings, Water, and the Cross. And excited today about today's podcast as we have Kim Shira from Show Me Birds, uh, one of the largest hunting resorts in the country. And what a powerful testimony of what God's doing there in Kim's life, and I can't wait for you to hear that. Uh, before we get started, want to run one thing by you. Don't forget, coming up August 24th and 25th, Uh, We're going to be having a big camp out up at Southern Gap Outdoors. There's some information on the website. If you go to hokeykennels.com and click on the podcast, uh, you'll see a little bit of basic information. Uh, Next month, coming up in June, we'll open registration up for that. And uh, like I say, the cost will just be for your camping and your riding. Uh, We're not not charging anything. We're going to provide food for the cookout and different things of that nature. Also, on that Friday night, we got Bliss Steele from uh, Meadowood uh, Farm, uh, which is a hunting preserve down in Lancaster, South Carolina. He's going to be with us. He's a dog trainer who shares the gospel message through the use of Labradors. And so that's going to be an exciting thing that's going to take place on that Friday night. And just all kinds of different things, including... Four-wheeler rides, uh, fishing competition on that Saturday. If you're not into the ATV ride, we're going to have a fishing contest. And so just a fun time. So be looking for that. Mark your calendar for that, August 24th and 25th. And then, of course, we'll be having uh, service here at our church on the 26th, and everyone's invited to come to that. Uh, but hope you'll take part of that. Uh, don't forget one more thing uh, before uh, we hear from Kim. Uh, if you have not subscribed yet to the podcast, be sure to do that either through Podbean or iTunes. Also, if you want to like us on Facebook, uh, I usually update when the new uh, podcast is coming out. So uh, great opportunity there, but be sure to do that. And like I say, if it's been a blessing to you, be sure to share it with someone. Uh, hope you have a great, great summer and enjoy today as we hear from Kim Shira and Show Me Birds. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and I'm excited. I've got Kim Shira with us today, and uh, you're going to be blessed uh, to hear uh, some great testimony. And uh, Kim uh, heads up, uh, uh, show me birds out of Kansas there in Baxter Springs uh kansas and so uh kim thanks for uh, agreeing to do the podcast today and i just want to kind of open it up and let you uh share a little bit about who you are and your background in hunting and kind of uh share with the guys and ladies that are listening today uh about your uh, uh organization and your ministry so thanks for being on today well you're welcome you're welcome
1: i always like working for Jesus no problem at all amen be happy to visit with you
0: and how did you kind of get into the hunting world I you shared a little bit with me the other day and I was just amazed at your background uh, you've done a lot of uh, uh, booking of guiding uh, all over the world uh, is that correct yes yes
1: yes um, <laughs> God has I just don't know how to describe it Uh, started out in 1970 uh, Baxter Springs high school graduate B and C student so why God picked me I have no idea no idea just a general uh, country boy uh, living here in a small town USA Baxter's got a population of about 4,000 people here in southeast Kansas and um September the 12th give you a little idea of how I screwed up at the very start on September 12th 1970 I was late for my wedding I'm 17 years old and getting married at 17 and I was late for my wedding because the doves were flying really good (laughs) (laughs) I I got started off all wrong absolutely (laughs) you'll see, uh, uh, remember this comment because it's going to come back to us at the end of this conversation. But uh, there was a small area, small, about 80 acres here right outside town that had a great big oak tree on it. And nobody really knew who owned that property. It was just sort of grown up in vegetation. And for a 17-year-old kid, it was perfect for me to go hunt because Nobody who owned it, so you couldn't ask permission. Well, that was my hangout when I was 15, 16 years old, just old enough to drive a car. And uh, that's where I was at underneath that oak tree dove hunting on the day of my wedding and was late for my wedding because the doves were flying really good. So that's where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, sort of progressed from there uh, and we start this. I do a lot of church testimonies and speak to different churches here in the Midwest. Um, I, I start talking some numbers, and I want to sort of point out in the conversation numbers is what makes us all different. You know, uh, an example Walmart sells more loaves of bread than probably anybody. Sheer numbers compared to a local convenience store. Numbers make a difference. So when you hear me cite some numbers, and credibility in the fact of what we're talking about, uh, and you're going to hear what I'm talking about. It's sort of confusing right now, but as we progress, you'll like, well, see what he meant. Now, but uh, second thing, too, uh, one of my old time heroes is old John Wayne, and John Wayne always said, or I heard him say, or saw him in the movies, he say, "It's not bragging if it's fact." So please don't take me as a boastful bragger type guy. But numbers make us different, and when I cite these numbers, these are authentic. These are things I can I can show you movies of. I can prove what I'm talking about of uh, what God used me for. And so, sort of keep that in mind. Just, he's not a bragging guy. He actually did it, did it. And it all began in 1977. I was just uh, I still got a picture of my first deer and started me deer hunting a little bit and by chance in 1977 I killed a Boone and Crockett whitetail up in Minnesota a friend of mine said why don't we go up to my uncle's place in Minnesota and go deer hunting I was in the right place at the right time luck and skill had nothing to do with it uh, just a young man been married a few years now and this buck I'm looking at it right now in our clubhouse he's still with me and it got me sort of brought up i would say in a, in a magazine and a gentleman out in las vegas nevada called me out of the clear blue i'd started a little hunting club here in baxter springs at the time he saw the story about the big buck and wanted to know if he could come talk to my hunting club and i thought well sure a guy's flying in from las vegas he stayed all night in my house and and uh, He came in and did a little talk to about 50 guys here inside the little community building in Baxter Springs years ago. And when he got all done, he sort of walked out and he was going to fly out the next morning. He looked at me and he said, all these local guys, they all know you and trust you. You got good, you know, good character. He said, how would you like to sell hunts for me? And this guy at the time owned a company called Western Hunting and Fishing Consultants. And I said, what? You pay to do that? Yeah, you pay to do <laughs> that. job. And, you know, that would be really cool. Well, sure. You know, you're a young man <laughs> in your early 20s and getting offered a job working for a hunting consultant firm. Well, that went on for about a year. I flew out to Vegas, met him. That's where he lived. And at the time went to, I think it was either the second or third Safari Club convention that Safari Club had hosted. It was at the Tropicana, I remember that. And here we are, uh, Safari Club's just getting started. I bought a life membership. I was one of the first life members in Kansas of Safari Club. But I'm walking around with this guy and come to find out he's a crook. He ended up embezzling uh, about $10,000 from me. I would sell the hunts, send him the deposit. He'd spend the money. Wouldn't pass the money on to the outfitter. So the negative side of that is what you just heard. The positive side is in that year that I worked for him, I learned what a hunting consultant does. I learned what that job is. I went to my first safari club meeting. I sort of got my feet wet just a little bit, as you say, and decided, uh, of course, no longer work for him, but decided to start my own business called Midwestern Hunting and Fishing Consultants. Out of the blue, office above my garage. No clue. Just God was beside me. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, other than I knew I wanted to do it who wouldn't so here we went trying to pick up Outfitters traveling around the country I wouldn't sell anything if I hadn't been to the Outfitters Ranch been to the Outfitters Operation and God was beside me it grew and grew and grew and from that point around 1977 1978 to um uh, around 1989, probably around a 10 year period, uh, Midwestern grew to be a very large organization. Uh, In fact, at the time that I shut it down, I had around 150 to 156 different outfitters that I represented. And during that career, I had made 198 trips around the world big game hunting. I would go to Africa for a month at a time. Now, speaking of that, big game hunting means when you're the hunting consultant and you've got four clients in camp, the clients shoot first, and if there's any time left, there's any animals left, there's any kind, (laughs) whatever's left, the hunting consultant goes out with the outfitter and I actually get to hunt. So it was work, it wasn't just I go hunt and come home. I had to take care of the clients, greet them at the airports, all the different things that they did. Uh, the office above the garage is still there. Got maps of the world and little pins stuck in the wall. Of all these maps of all these different places I had been. Um, almost killed numerous times. Hunting lions, Cape Buffalo, falling off horses, chasing mountain lions. Uh, to this day, um, I got one leg on one side that's uh, lower part of the leg is purple from falling off horses and just uh, having a really blessed exciting type life like most guys would dream of. and it was a it was a blessing and then it was a curse. As it got big, uh, pressure started hitting. And all this came to a head in 1990. I was again at Bally's Hotel in Las Vegas at Safari Club Convention. And by now, I was pretty known and uh, had all these outfitters I was representing. Well, some of you guys can sort of set back in time a little bit and think 1990, that was the Gulf War. Started in January. I'm at the Safari Club Convention. Nobody's buying anything. This is prime time to get your hunting licenses. This is prime time to book your hunts. Uh, the biggest hunting convention at the time is rolling. Uh, you know, C.J. McElroy had built a Safari Club from a dream to a major organization by 1990. And nobody's in the lobby. Everybody's in their hotel rooms watching the Gulf War. We thought at the time it was probably going to be World War III. We didn't know it was going to go on for a few months and, and things were going to change. But what it did for me with all these outfitters that I was supporting and representing and hitting at the wrong time of the year, you couldn't sell anything. When I normally would come home with more bookings and I knew what to do, uh, I ended up laying in a hotel room at Valley's and nobody knows the real hours, but I would guesstimate (laughs) I cried for probably uh, 10, 12 hours, till I just physically drained my body uh, learn now after years have passed, I had a nervous breakdown. During the course of that, never knew how to pray, never went to church unless there was a funeral or a wedding. Was a good man. I mean, I never, you know, I wasn't a bad man. I just, it was work came first. Uh, I thought at the time I was supporting my family. And I was, but, because I was supporting my family with hunting, it made everybody think he's just hunting. <laughs> you know, he's not really working, that's not work.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's just he's in all South
1: Africa, Zimbabwe, he's in he's he's in Spain, he's in you know, he's not really working, but it really it was. It was a lot of stress and I also had a at that point in time a used car dealership. I remodeled houses, had rental property My dad had a garage and body shop, and if I got a couple hours sleep, I was doing pretty good. I was a workaholic. There was no time to go to church. Some of you guys might relate to that just a little bit. Uh, No time to go to church. Now, I wasn't at the pool hall drinking beer. I was working. But supporting my family came first bring the dinosaur to the cave is what what the, our ancestors always did, and that's what I felt like I was doing. But I missed up, out on a lot of my family stuff, I missed out on being raised in a church, I missed out on all that, and yet looking back, God was blessing me the whole time, and I didn't deserve it. Um, so here we went, nervous breakdown, Valley's Hotel, what are we gonna do? I laid there in bed crying and I thought, What can I do where I don't support all these outfitters who are depending on me to sell their hunts? Basically like a travel agent. I could do bird hunts. I could stay at home, be with my family. My dad at that point in time owned about 80 acres. Just do some bird hunts. I'll do some, build some fireplaces, remodel work like I did in the past. Uh, Financially, I was doing pretty well at around that age bracket, mid 40s, and not saying I was retiring retiring yet, but all the work had paid off. So this was going to kind of be a start a bird hunting operation as a hobby. Sort of remember that word, guys, as a hobby. <laughs> we went from 50 pheasants in 1990 as a hobby to right close to 70,000 pheasants in the hunting season as it got to climax, as it got to total point. Um, hobby, I wouldn't call that a hobby. <laughs> no, So <not. laughs> came back home from that hotel room and decided this is what I was going to do. We didn't have to fight license systems. And I was just supporting myself. That's all we were going to do and that started growing. That started working. Of course, I had had plenty of confidence. I had plenty of knowledge about selling hunts because of Midwestern hunting consultants. When you've been selling an African safari, now you're selling a $75 pheasant hunt. That was pretty easy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that, big that was
1: a big deal. To job but come out and help me first year it went up to from 50 pheasants to 1200 oh my goodness my dad said you're going to give pheasants and feed pheasants to all the neighbors there's no way you can shoot 1200 pheasants on this farm so I started buying more land and expanding and growing then we put in a big commercial hatchery the hatchery at its climax could do 26,000 pheasants every Tuesday and we start sending chicks all over the country. Hmm. The bird production side of it uh, went up to 70,000 pheasants over about a 15-year period. And those were mature, mature birds. And at one point in time, we had 6.5 miles of flight pens.
0: Goodness
1: gracious. I would tell an employee to get on a four-wheeler and drive the pens looking for a Coon, possum, bobcat, hoes, hawks, owls, whatever preys on the product. And it would take the biggest part of the day for one guy to just drive flight pins. We had 12 locations to raise all these birds in. Now that's where we ended up. And we ended up at that point, that was about four years ago, uh, around 2012, 2013, into there. I think, well, maybe 2014, I sort of lose track of time. But it grew into a monster i thought midwestern was bad uh, god was beside me the whole time telling me what to do i don't have a business degree at that point in time a few years back four years ago i was running nine businesses under the name of show me birds hunting resort between the hatchery the farming we built fishing ponds uh, beautiful actually i live on an island in kansas as everybody says locally Uh, surrounded by water and fountains and outdoor pavilions and all kinds of cool stuff but that sort of came later in the game the first part of it was building the client base building these pheasant numbers Uh, with my contacts in the hunting industry I had people coming in the first year or two from all over the country again small town Baxter Springs 4,000 people and down and I'm getting people from China and Spain and Europe uh New Zealand had hunters this year from Uganda Africa. Wow. Coming pheasant hunting because of those contacts that we had. Well, the economy in a town of 4,000 people five miles away did not matter to me because we were in a worldwide market. And we went from about 20 hunters the first year uh, up to the 5,000 hunters in 150 days, largest, America's ever seen uh, was also on the national board of directors for our industry so I know what other people are doing the largest America has ever seen it created a monster that I had to feed once again the nerves kick in once again the stress kicks in at one point in time 242 pointing dogs 110 laps 71 employees, 69,000, almost 70,000 pheasants, huge commercial hatchery, bird production, farming the land. I ended up having six different hunting farms to hunt on, taking care of all that property, a pro shop. Then we started, I went to Spain, did a European shoot back when I was 1989, 1990 and I started a European-style shooting program, like they do in Spain and England. I actually went there and participated and saw how they did it. Came back and started it in America. Can't say I was the first person to do it, and I will not say that I was the first person to do it, but I don't know of anybody else that did it before me, but it is possible. My dad, once again, bless his heart, he's hadn't gone now, he's in heaven, but. Thought I'd lost my ever-loving mind. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm out there in the middle of a creek bottom on one of the farms putting orange flags in the ground, lining out a European shooting course, American style. He laughed and laughed and laughed. As a matter of fact, he came back. He got on a tractor, drove through the trees, came back about 30 minutes later. He had some railroad ties, just three foot long, four foot long. I said, what are you doing? You ain't never gonna shoot a pheasant down here in this creek bottom. So I brought these railroad ties down here and I'm gonna make you a little a little hut type thing and them bunny rabbits and cottontails will get down inside them railroad ties and we'll come down here and shoot us some cottontails. <laughs> <laughs> I've told all my employees, if you ever wanna get fired on the spot, they're still down there to this day, <laughs> move those railroad ties. Everybody knows, they're all the guides are, Guys on that particular farm for that day. Take the hunters up to see the railroad ties and tell them the little story. There's just a pile of old real lumber now because that was so many years ago. So that 27 years from 1990 to now, it was quite a growing process to say the least. 69 tons of dog food. Built my own feed mill to feed all these pheasants. I wanted a pheasant that could outfly a wild pheasant. Not as good, I wanted to outfly that. So we started on genetic selections in the hatchery. Uh, Had some people helping me. This wasn't a Kim Shira did it all himself deal. I had good people helping me build all this, give credit to them, absolutely. Uh, Some of them are no longer here, some of them have passed and gone, some of them uh, have gone to other jobs or whatever, that's normal for a business but in building this and that 27 year program where they were very instrumental in all this. And the construction part of it's been done now for probably five or six years, maybe a little bit longer. As far as the hunting side of everything, we haven't got to God's side of everything. But the hunting side of everything with the feed mill, we've manufactured 387 tons of feed. It had grown to the point overhead and cost of operation was getting real close to a million dollars a year, but you're only open 140 to 150 days a year by Kansas law to hunt. So guys, picture in your mind, you got a million dollars in overhead and you're open 140, 150 days. I did the math several times. It cost me $5,000 a day to open the front door. Picture that picture that just a little bit of that stress that that puts you through and it was gradual people come in it takes four hours to take a tour of this place and people come in and go on a tour and how'd you do they see the end results they didn't see the first flight pin being built they see six and a half miles of flight pins but it was a gradual every year we just build and build and sleep at night, the stress of all of it again, like the stress we had with the first hunting business I just wanted this to be a hobby (laughs) but God had other plans so about four years ago I'm, I'm thinking about four years ago I had gotten to the point through falling off horses and all the stuff I told you earlier I would meet hunters at the front door and My back was twisted so bad I got seven discs out of my back, two discs totally gone. The others were just ruptured into the spinal cord. A purple leg. I'm greeting hunters at the front door like you're 90 years old, twisted, hobbled up, leaning to one side, shaking hands. It was Kim. Everybody knew it. He just wore his body out. And they accepted. I mean, it was just. Yeah, I'd walk the tables while the cooks were feeding them lunch and the staff's taking care of the pro shop. And we're a direct buyer for all the major companies, one of the largest direct buyer federal has on shotgun shells. And so the employees are taking care of everything. I'm at the point I'm just walking around and, and shaking hands and Kim's smiley face, they call it. So at the end of that season, four years ago, carrying a fishing tackle box full of pain pills, degenerative disc disease, ulcers from crazy employees, I call it, from the stress of everything, uh, the back problems, uh, colon problems, just stress. I had to go in the hospital again for another surgery, and this time it was on my colon. The doctor that did the surgery walks into the room, hunts here, it's over in Joplin, Missouri, nearby hospital. And he looks at me and holds my hand and he said, Kim, I just took nine inches of your colon out. Your insides look like a 90 year old man. You're 60 years old. If you don't change your life, pick your funeral home and gives me a hug. Now this guy, Hunt's here. He's a friend. I mean, most doctors don't say that, but we're friends. I mean, to this day, we're still friends. That's uh, cold water through in your face. That's, that's, yeah. Week in a hospital to lay there and think about all that. And why did I do all that? Uh, I tell people I started as a hobby and didn't really have to work, but my men would buy a new truck or a house, get married. I got to take care of them. Giving heart. You got to take care of your employees. A good boss will do that. But while I was in that hospital for almost a week, my employees didn't come to see me. i not going to mention any names, but they didn't. Now, they had to put a sign on the door, please let the patient rest, because hunters were coming in from everywhere. Kim's in the hospital. and But not employees. So basically, the employees at that time, I'm, You know, they're all gone now. Uh, New staff has replaced them. They're here for the paycheck. When's the boss going to get back to work? Type mentality. So when I came out of that hospital bed, I've hunted lions in Africa. I was sort of like a roaring lion. God, please forgive me, but I was hurt. Really hurt. So I decided to make some drastic changes. Told my wife, we're two hours from Branson, Missouri, Table Rock Lake. We're heading to Branson, we're gonna pick you out a nice home, and we're moving to Branson and I'm gonna sell Show Me Birds Hunting Resort. You're kidding, and I said, no, I'm done. So we loaded up in the car, went to Branson two or three times with the realtor, found the house that she really wanted. Came back home, it's a Sunday evening. This is where it gets good, boys. It's a Sunday evening, and went to bed the next morning she's calling the realtor to buy the house in Branson right by the table rock Dam. I'm calling the realtors to sell show me birds. I got one here in the Midwest that said they had a buyer. It's over. Can't stand the pain anymore. Three prescription pain pills a day. Fish and tackle box, little tiny little fish and tackle box can pills for all the medical issues. And I just lost nine inches of my colon. So went to sleep. And wham, boys, I wasn't raised in church, but I had a vision. Pastor Aaron Williams, standing in a pavilion. Behind him is a beautiful gazebo. Behind that is a fountain in the water. Behind that, out on the end of the county road, the end of this huge pond dam is three white crosses. Build it and they will come. Jumped up out of bed. Went back to sleep, bam, same thing. Went back to sleep, bam, same thing. Three times, same night, my wife said, what in the world are you doing? I said, I have no idea. Who's Pastor Aaron Williams? (sighs) He's up around Weir, Kansas or someplace. I gotta find him. So got up that morning and called him, introduced myself. I kind of sort of knew who he was, but his face was just as clear as a bell to me. He said, Kim, you had a vision. I said, Aaron, wait a minute. <laughs> I wasn't raised in church. I've been to church a few times, if there's a wedding or a funeral, but uh, no, not an old boy like me. Kim, you had a vision, can I come talk to you? I said, sure. So he comes down to the house, One of my daughters was there, ended up being about eight people, never met his wife. She came along, we had a little barbecue and what I call the North American room in the house, we were done eating and he was trying to tell me what a vision was. And he said, I just feel the Holy Spirit here, Kim, something, something's going to happen. And I said, I don't, I don't know. I can talk hunting with you, but I don't know what's, what all this is about well, can we pray for this evening? And I said, well, sure. So we got down on our knees, held hands inside the North American room. And as everybody said a prayer, it came around to my turn. I said the first prayer I've ever said out loud in my entire life. They all stood up and I fell to the floor. When you've got seven discs out of your back and you've been on your knees, you know how long seven people can (laughs) pray? (laughs) Oh, he told me later, he said, I was holding you up, wasn't I? I said, oh, yeah. He said, your arms were trembling. I said, I hadn't felt my legs. They just went totally numb. So my daughter is a nurse at a local hospital. She said, "Uh, Daddy, just lay down. I'm embarrassed. I'm meeting some of these people for the first time, and I'm making a ridiculous scene that I can't feel my legs, and you know. So we laid there for a while, and they pulled me up into a recliner. We all hugged. They went home, and I sat there till the next morning. But in that meantime, those eight people had laid hands on me, and Aaron had prayed for me, and they had to. They prayed for me for probably 10 minutes laying hands on me. He asked if he could and I said, sure. I've never had anything like that. I've been paralyzed before, that's no big deal. That happens two or three times a year, but nobody's ever laid hands on me before. And he told me that God can be the great healer and we can get you away from a fish and tackle box full of pain pills and we can, you know, uh, normal what pastors would tell you. But here I sat in that chair paralyzed and finally started feeling my legs a little bit started going from wall to wall holding on to the wall and got to go to the bathroom and different things and it finally came back which it always had so I give some thought to what just happened and Aaron said I had a vision I should proceed with that vision is what I thought The Holy Spirit sort of told me that, and I didn't know at the time what the Holy Spirit was, but um, I could talk hunting with you, but I couldn't talk the Bible. I'd never read the Bible. So I decided to not sell the business at that time, not to buy the house in Branson. My wife wasn't real happy about that, but (laughs) she is now. And decided that I need to build what they're talking about building and this vision. So we started. That was about, again, about four years ago. Here we went, and boys, when God goes to work, hang on. It was incredible. We have taken a hay meadow where we belled hay and turned it into what some people say is one of the most beautiful spots in Kansas. Not tooting my horn. That's what other people say. Uh, there's three beautiful lakes, ponds, a pavilion that seats a hundred people. You can go to our website, showmebirds.com and see pictures of this.
0: And I'm going to post some pics Uh, on our podcast page of that too, Kim. It's beautiful.
1: Oh, you've seen it? Okay. Yeah. I I
0: saw some pictures of it myself.
1: Well, it was, uh, from, actually I carry a, a book, a photo book in the back. I call it Working for Jesus. And I see people, they see show me birds on the side of my truck, and they come over and talk, and I pull out the (laughs) Working for Jesus book, and uh, we show them the before and after. But the story, when God is the architect, what happens is just has blown all the local people away. Um, Pastor Aaron, as it turns out, owns a bulldozer, a D6 bulldozer as it turns out, was an artist with a B6 bulldozer. So obviously, I didn't know Pastor Aaron had a bulldozer. I didn't even know Pastor Aaron. God had a plan for that as well. Here's your pastor that lays hands on you. And in the course of time, my spine, I went from bent to the right hand of your body, looking like a hundred-year-old man. it felt like an ice cube coming up my back wasn't hot it was an ice cube so like a uh, frozen ice i could feel it every day just going right up my spine just barely barely moving it took about three months and in a three-month period went from bent over double to standing upright thudum, meeting guys at the front door the hunters coming in the front door that fall hunting season did you have back surgery again Kim? oh my gosh look at you they were just Some of them have been coming here for 25 years. I mean, from 1990, they knew me and nope, God did all this. Not another surgeon. God did all this. And I started standing upright and we started building and Aaron started pushing dirt. This went on for two summers, not just a normal farm pond. These things where there's redemption island with a 20 foot cross arching bridge takes you over to the island, a 200-foot peninsula takes you out to the bridge, a flat bridge to get you to the peninsula where another waterfall is. That's right beside the pavilion. I built a baptism area. You walk out between two white angels to be baptized. Got everything designed for that and uh, had 49 people baptized in my front yard last summer. Churches come from all over. Stocked it with eight thousand fish. I don't even fish. I was a hunter, not a fisherman. The boy, I bait a lot of hooks. A lot of hooks. Two to three groups a week, many weeks. Nursing homes, number one. good warriors, uh, church groups, baptisms, men's retreat, Bible study, ladies' retreat, cookouts. Anything that has to do with the church groups anything that has to do with the wounded warriors, no charge whatsoever. Just giving back to the community. This is not a money thing. This is not another business. This is what I do in the summer to give back for the blessings God gave me of this business. This is uh, turned into be quite a nonprofit organization you might say, but that's okay. The crazy part of this is how God built it. As we started progressing, Aaron started pushing dirt. He looks at me and he says, Kim, this is 2012, 2013 in Kansas. We had a massive drought. He said, I don't know if we're going to see these ponds full. He said, how big do you want them? I said, Aaron, you can't build them too big. Just join them together. Okay, but you might need a well. A well? All right. I pull up the yellow pages, it's it good here boys. Look in there, there's a well drilling company. I don't know anything about a well, never had a well. Called a guy, he came out he Said, "Oh, in this area it runs about $25,000 for a well. I said, okay, let me think on it, talk to the wife. And I'll get back to you next morning, about nine o'clock next morning, phone rings. My name's Chris. I'm down here in the Oshow, Missouri, and I hear you need a well. I said, what? How'd you hear that? That was yesterday. I was at McDonald's restaurant here in the Osho, Missouri, and I heard a guy talking behind me. I, don't, I never saw who it was. This guy's name's Kim Shira, and he's going to do great things. He needs a well, and I need to help him. I said, well, oh, okay. What well, do you charge for a well? I started laughing on the phone and he said, well, Southeast Kansas, it usually runs around 25, $30,000, but I got it in my heart and I want to help. I want to be a part of this. I'll drill you well for $12,000 half price. I said, no, oh, no, sounds pretty a lot better than what I'd heard. Get up here, let me meet you. He comes up, I've got pictures of all this. He starts drilling. At 355 feet, he calls me, get up here quick. I thought somebody had been hurt. I run up there, and he's got water just boiling. Takes a styrofoam cup and drinks the water. He said, I can't believe it. Look at this. He shows me on the phone this little red line going through southeast Kansas. I've seen it. He looked at me, and he said, weren't you going to Branson, Table Rock Lake? I said, yeah, no need. Branson came to you. Table Rock Lake came to you. We just hit the Ozark Aquifer. It's an underground river that feeds Table Rock. I didn't even know it was in Southeast Kansas. He starts crying. I said, what What are you talking about? I don't know what Ozark Aquifer. I'm, not, I'm a hunter. He said, Kim, look at this. And he drinks the water. He said, it's crystal clear water. Underneath your house. Sandstone's laying everywhere. You can tell you just burst it through a big massive piece of sandstone. So now we can flip a switch on the well. Two hundred and fifty gallons of Ozark Spring Water in southeast Kansas. I didn't move to Branson. Branson <laughs> came here. Goes into the catfish pond. Down a thirty five foot waterfall Underneath my driveway, into the bass pond. Over the waterfall, at the flat bridge, into the crappie factory. All crystal clear spring water. I have to dye the water blue because a fish can see you walk up to the bank. That's why everybody loves to be baptized here. It's not a farm pond. Another pump picks it up. Pumps at 4,290 feet of 4-inch water line into Fantasy Island Pond on the European course. That pumps it into Shellburner Pond, we call it. That pumps it into another pond at Station 4. Then another pump picks it up and pumps it 1,250 feet to Gagatha Hill Pond, which is right beside my clubhouse, where there's another 25-foot cross on top of Gagatha Hill with big 12 13 inch letters that say, in God we trust. <laughs> Across the front of that, there's a lab launching dock there. So when the hunters pull into the parking lot at Show Me Birds, they see massive crosses. I have six ponds and eight crosses. Across the front of the clubhouse, it says, in God we trust. When they pull in the parking lot, they're shadowed by crosses everywhere. It's not a normal hunting camp, but God built it. To honor him, that's what's gonna be there. So, if you're a minnow and you get inside that pump, you got a long ride before you ever get to that again. As my neighbors all say you're on one the, point track. the other one. Yeah, you're on that the floor. That was the first track. sign in dealing that pond that was the first sign of you're on God's track. When you're moving to Table Rock and Table Rock's under your land. So we started building the pavilion. We started building the waterfall, contractors started coming in, um, wanting to help. What was a normal price is cut in half on almost everything that I went to do. An example, sod, I called a sod company down in Oklahoma, 45 cents a square foot for the sod. They come in with three and a half semis, big round bells of sod that look like a big round bell of hay, like a farmer would bell hay. The driver of the first semi sees the three crosses I just put up, asked me what it was, told him the little story, calls his boss, takes a picture, sends it to his boss. His boss puts him on the phone. I said, yes, sir, can I help you? You know what the price was that we agreed to to bring you all that saws? And I said, yeah, you're the biggest order we've had in years. I'm going to let you have it for 14 cents a foot, <laughs> my production cost. I want to be a part of this. Amen. The waterfall company comes in with a $30,000 waterfall, cuts the price in half. I want to be a part of this. And get this, a wonderful man named Matt Blassett has a rock quarry in southeast Kansas. He sees what we're doing. 70 semis, not a dump truck, 70 semis of white granite, beautiful granite rock have been delivered to my door. He's never gave me a bill and refuses to ever give me a bill. The people building the boat dock work out here for two weeks. Here's the bill for the materials, Kim. The labor's on us. You don't know what's a dime. It just goes on and on and on. And the funny part, I'm on a tractor, got pictures of all this, moving 70 semi-loads of rock. I had help. Other people were helping as well. But for me to drive a tractor before all this started would just be unheard of. I could barely walk. Now I'm spending day after day after day on tractors with front-end loaders, lining these beautiful ponds with white granite rock and the Caribbean blue water. It's it's uh, pretty amazing. People from all over the country come in to see it. People from all over the country came in to help build it. Um, it was just working for God. Mm-hmm. The crazy part. remember the first part of this conversation I said something about an oak tree. The oak tree still stands on the side of the pond down nineteen seventy i'm late for my wedding, dove hunting underneath that oak tree. I had no idea my dad would buy that farm five years later. I had no idea. That would be my inheritance. I had no idea I would live my entire life, 65 years pretty much, with that oak tree right outside my front door. I had no idea God was gonna build what I'm describing to you in front of that oak tree. Where I dove hunted on the day of my wedding. My dad said, I'd like to own some land. I said, Daddy, where I've been out there hunting There's a big oak tree out there. Nobody knows who owns it. So I went to our local co-op feed store. I said, you guys got a map of the county? Oh, yeah. Right here, right here. This is it, this is it. You got a name there? Gave me the name. I looked up. They live in Kansas City. Looked up their phone number, researched it, called. The lady answers the phone. She said, that was my husband's land. He's only been there twice in the last 80 years. His whole family owned that. I said, ma'am, would you be interested in selling it? No, he would never sell it. But he died two weeks ago. I don't want to deal with it. Yes, I'll make you a deal so I don't have to worry about that farm that I've hardly ever been to. I said, ma'am, there's a big oak tree on on that farm and I've been dove hunting under it several times without any permission because I didn't know you till then I want to buy that oak tree it comes with the farm I said we're on our way to Kansas City we get up there to buy the farm 80 acres she said you want the other farm too I said what other farm well there's another 40 some acres straight north of that really I said dad you buy one farm I'll buy the other farm so we bought the other farm didn't he know where it was came back home. We were landowners. So 1970 on my wedding day, God knew what he was going to build underneath that oak tree. Amen. Years later. And serving God just like we're doing, he had a plan all along. I was just a tool. So now I take people on the Kubotas, we drive around and we take them to the oak tree and I tell them little stories, especially the nursing homes. We drive them down through the tunnel of trees where the European course is, we let them catch a bass one more time. You haven't lived, he saw a 95 year old man catch a bass one more time. (laughs) It's all they talk about, it's all they talk about. One of them named Betty sits on her little park bench, nobody sits there but Betty, that's her her bench catches fish till she falls asleep woke her up she wouldn't leave till she gave kim a hug she walks up to me this is what it means to him she said is your wife at home i said no betty she's not she's at the grocery store okay she reaches up and gives me a kiss on the cheek (laughs) she said i haven't had this much fun since i was 12 god bless you for what you do i said he has he already has that oak tree? Oh yeah, you've told me the story of the oak tree. I said, let's go over there to the oak tree. She looks at me after the oak tree. Can we go to a baby cemetery? I said, yep. One of the farms I bought, get this guys, has an 1874 baby cemetery. Nobody could find it. They knew it was there. Nobody could find it. I found it, restored it, rebuilt the tombstones put a beautiful wrought iron fence around it, big white cross on it, angels and statues there. And now we take all these people and artistic children and the wounded warriors and all these people down to the Baby Cemetery. Who buys a farm that has a Baby Cemetery on it? I get a phone call last July. My name's Shirley, I hear you restored a Baby Cemetery. I said, yes ma'am. How'd you hear that? The Baxter Springs Historical Society Said they heard it at the coffee shop. Could you tell me the names on the tombstones? Are there names? And I said, yeah. Told her the names. She starts crying on the phone. You found my family. I said, what? We've lost them for years. Can I come see it? I said, sure. Come on down. I live in Calgary, Alberta. It'll take me a while to get the airline tickets, but I'll be down within the month. She does. She pulls up. Gets out of the car, rental car, just a ballin'. I found her homestead, the old hand dug well. Took her and showed her her family. She starts crying. She'd been on Ancestry.com, she studied it quite a bit. She said, this was my family, and they were part of Brigham Young and Joseph Smith's wagon train. They came through Southeast Kansas one time, she says. I cannot document that, but that's what she says. And they gave birth, and the babies died. Mom wouldn't leave. She gave birth again. The babies died. Finally, we moved away and started moving to Nebraska and then on into Alberta. And She said the place was haunted. But the tombstones were broken and covered in dirt and weeds. Uh, I had to spend the summer in the evenings. I'd work till about 7 and go down there by myself. I told all my employees, this is Kim's deal. I got a good back now. I'm giving back. So I go down there and restored all this. So now the buses come in and we take them to the Baby Cemetery. God had a plan for that, to restore all that. One ride after the next at Disneyland, we call it. And we move these people around all summer, going from spot to spot, place to place. And I do this little talk, that you're hearing here. Some of you can tell he's told this before. (laughs) Yeah, two or three times a week. (laughs) I've told that story before. It's been going on for about four years now. Yes, yes. We had to downsize the business. I took it down to three days a week to help my health just a little bit. Uh, God continues to bless us. We work Saturday, Sunday, and Monday with clients. Uh, We still shoot around 35,000 pheasants, about 3,500 hunters. Come from all over the world. And my employees, I instructed them I can't support 71 employees like I used to but you go get another job and just make sure you're here when I need you come hunting season and it's worked out really well and sort of funny, God brought me when we had the big drama of me coming out of the hospital, had the big drama of all that, God has blessed me and brought me seven new employees all good Christian family men and jumped on board and it's just been a tremendous transition to keep the doors open but still keep it open where it's at a level without the intensity and the stress and drama of where we were before. Those two businesses almost killed me. God revived me just to do this. And that's what we're doing today. And it's, uh, it's been quite a ride, as you can already tell. What a blessing it has been to be able to talk with these people and, and do what we do and finally I'll shut up here in just a second but one of the highlights of the year last year I had a guy walk up, shook my hand, the pastor told me we were having a baptism, he said this guy, see that guy over there with the beard, he's a construction, works for construction, got four kids and he will not go to church with his children, his wife goes to church with the four kids. We got him here because he thought he was come and show me birds to go fishing. And I said, okay. Took him on what we call a Christian Outdoor Trail for Christ program. And he went through all that, walked up to me, shook my hand. Sort of rough character. Mr. Shira, I can look at this place. You could be anywhere doing anything you want to do. give your entire summer to churches you've never been to helping people you don't even know. I said, yeah, I can't deny that. And by God, if you can do that, I can go to church with my kids and my wife. She's been asking me to go. <laughs> Talked to the pastor the other day he hadn't missed in a year and a half. <laughs> if nothing else, that was worth sure. the effort and the
0: life that i've had changed that whole family (laughs) amazing well kim man i I just am in awe of what god's uh working and doing through your your business and your ministry there and just appreciate you sharing that and um I, i won't keep you much longer but just one thing i guess and and you've shared your heart there already is there is there one thing that you could say to uh uh, a, a man that might be out there because your story is so relevant, I think with so many that we've been, many of us been raised to say, you know, as long as I work and provide for my family and you shared a little bit of that. But but what's maybe something you could say other than your testimony here about how maybe God's changed that through your obedience to him? I, I know the healing you, you shared about. I know those things when when the focus shifted from, uh, you know, just providing to, hey, what what's God want? You know, is there is, is there something that you could share that maybe for that guy that's thinking about that, what was it for you, I know, you know, specifically that, that transformed you or or made you look at it different?
1: For me, the biggest mistake I made, and in my mind, I was feeding my family. I mean, I can't deny that. I wasn't playing, but because I made a career out of hunting, My wife, my kids, everybody thought, he's playing. Well, guess what? You're driving a new car with what I'm playing with. (laughs) It's how it works. But what I should have done was put family in there with that. Not just work, 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 work. Not everybody's gonna be blessed to travel all over the world hunting. God had a plan for me and I did that. But that's not what the road that most people travel. So when you're sitting here working five, six, seven days a week, providing for your family, doing everything you can take time to shut it down and say, today I'm taking the kids to the park. Today I'm taking the kids to church. Today I'm giving to that church. My struggles health wise and work wise all changed. When the crosses came up on these farms, (laughs) God saw my sincerity. He healed me so that I can continue working and not sell the business and leave. But I'm working for Jesus (laughs) and take time to say, hey, guys, you know, it's not about chasing the dollar bill all the time. Patting my baby on the back is as important as me working take that priority and say let's go to church you'll find your whole life changes when your mentality changes from being the provider and bringing the dinosaur to the cave as I sell tell people all the time it changes when yes you have to provide a good dad does that but also realize a good dad knows how to love on his children and his wife and make memories for them too. It's real easy for the family to expect money to to go shopping. But where'd that money come from? Daddies know. But at the same time, a lot of mamas work too. But at the same time, give the family some too. What we do for ourselves goes in the grave with us. What we do for others is our legacy that will live forever.
0: Amen, amen. Powerful words. Kim, I, you'll never know. I, I'm thankful for God for just even the way uh, this conversation came up. And so I know God's still using your testimony uh, uh, in a powerful way. Uh, just a random thing brought me into uh, contact with you, and you've responded. And like I say, I'm, uh, God never ceases to amaze me. Uh, as we close, uh, more information about uh, uh, your um, business and your ministry there at showmebirds.com. Uh, you can go on there and if I'm going to have a link to that too on our podcast, so you can link in and just touch on that. And I'm also going to try to post a picture of the ponds that, uh, uh, Kim was sharing about There is a I think it's a drone picture of it from above, and it is just breathtaking what God's done there. And so, Kim, I thank you so much for your time today and uh, look forward to hearing from you maybe again. I, I know there's a lot of other, uh, and talked to you the other day, there's a lot of little testimonies along the way that maybe someday we can touch back on again.
1: Absolutely. I'm happy to help and happy to just sort of tell people what God's done in my life. He can do the same in yours. Amen. Amen. Open the door and let him in.
0: Amen. Thanks a lot, Ken.